Just a quick heads up, this show contains sensitive and graphic material that might not be for everyone. If you don't enjoy in-depth true crime, humor about true crime, and drinking, please don't continue. We want to be respectful of the victims in these crimes, but as for the criminals, we just don't give a shit. Welcome to Crimes and Cocktails, a podcast where we explore true crime while drinking a customized cocktail created by Tabitha and Katie. Hey guys, it's Tabitha. And I'm Katie. Welcome back to Crimes and Cocktails. We're out here. I can't even say this line. <laughs> we out here slaying and slaying on our way. Slaying and slaying. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Uh, yeah no i'm just looking okay we we always like I mean, we wing half these things but we also write our little scripts here and stuff like that and sometimes katie will write things and that i'm supposed to say and sometimes vice versa and i just saw slaying and slaying and i was like oh my god what's she doing or slaying <laughs> More like drowning in the rain currently, which it is um, California. We're always in a drought, and then we randomly have a week where we get like flooded, flooded like crazy yeah. flash floods. At least in NorCal, um, well, SoCal too, actually, because I don't really have any like drainage down there. But yeah. um, it's still not enough to make up for the drought. <laughs> but we're thankful. Nope. <laughs> but yeah, I'm hoping that we can finish this recording without the sound totally cutting out. And if it's a little fuzzy today, that is why. Um, it's very windy. It's very windy so, and stormy and hailing yeah. and everything. Today at my work, uh, one of the transporters on the power line like lit on fire, oh and God. the whole like park was like uh, put out or the, the power was out or something like that for a while. And PG&E like came and the power company came out and turned it off. And I thought they were fixing it. And then like we ended up going home. They like, just work from home today. And then a couple hours later, I heard from my coworker that they just went back to start working on it. Oh, God. So I'm like, does okay. that mean I can work from home tomorrow? <laughs> um, Fingers I'll be crossed. <laughs> it's funny because my coworker yesterday, she's like, I'm praying all day the power will just go out. And then today the power is out. And I was like, you did this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Can she pray about my work? Like, yeah. <laughs> Call it a bomb threat. <laughs> So um. it's the holidays, and as you know, we like to be on theme with our crimes. So <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Katie found this case for us. Uh, it's a really old case, actually. Um, it's from like the 1940s. It's about mm-hmm. the disappearance of the Sodder children. So real quick, um, if you don't want to hear, I don't know, if you're... If you don't want to hear about children roasting on an yeah, open you. fire. Thank you. I mean, we don't either. We don't either. Oh, um, but all these crimes, I mean, every every week we are obviously covering a horrendous crime and we don't condone any of it or anything like that. But sometimes certain subjects can be a little bit harder to hear than others. So yeah. today we are going to be talking about a disappearance of the Sodder children. So... Uh, we don't mind if you decide to skip this week and tap out and tap back in next week. 
Yes. Or if you want to stick along for the ride, <laughs> we will get into We're gonna that. We're going to have some fun. We're going to make it fun. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> it's hard. Hard to be fun about these things. But, you know. About disappearing we do children. Our, we do our days. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, before we get into that, we just want to say a huge thank you as we wrap up the year to all of our patrons and all the listeners, all you guys that just support us. Uh we had someone on our Instagram that sent us an ornament that they made out of one of our stickers, which was pretty cool. So it's cool to see some fans there. And a lot of you guys put a, talked about us on your Spotify wrapped, which was also really exciting. And just... It's really nice to see. Yeah, people that are not just our <laughs> yeah. friends that we're paying to listen to our podcast. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so we love all the us, support so. and anything of you, you know, send us... Send us your ornaments if uh, you got more crime and cocktail ornaments. We'll post it on our stories or whatever. So, yeah. Send one to my house. I'll take it. Yes. (laughs) And uh, the best way you can really support us, and it's 100% free, is to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. So that is actually the only way that other people that you haven't incessantly told to listen to us will find us and listen to us. So... Yes, please. That's what I want for Christmas. And, yeah. (laughs) Santa. (laughs) Well, Santa, you better leave me a review. If someone <laughs> named Santa leaves a review, I mean, I'm done. I'd be so stoked. Christmas miracle. <laughs> Christmas miracle. But anyways, I think we have a Christmas drinky for you this week. We do. Um, for this one, you're going to need to grab a mug. Uh, so it's going to be called Christmas by the Fire. Um, and <laughs> like you said, you can't be sensitive. <laughs> I know Taylor was just like, that's fucked up. And I'm like, well, every listen, every episode is fucked up. I'm sorry. Uh, so you're going to muddle some fresh orange and ginger with a pinch of nutmeg with one ounce of cranberry juice. Um, and then remove the ginger and orange and add in two ounces of hot apple cider, two ounces of cognac, stir it up and garnish it with a cinnamon stick and an orange peel. Uh, so it's nice and toasty, a little boozy. Uh, very delicious. It's perfect um, for the stormy season. So yes. Uh, so now that we have our inappropriately named cocktail ready, um, we can get into which you can find story. on our Instagram at Crimes and Cocktails if you're not already following that. Yes. Or you can check out our Patreon.com/slash Crimes and Cocktails. There'll be some beautiful artwork. And it may take me two weeks to do it, but. <laughs> It will be there. I merely <laughs> posted the Christmas. last episode's <laughs> artwork yesterday or today, actually. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> we got lives. Oh, well. It's the holidays. Um, it's, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. So seriously. We're so busy. Um, yeah. So we're going to get into a little bit of um, backstory first. Uh, George Sauter emigrated to the U.S. from Italy at the age of 13 with his older brother in 1908. Um, For some reason, shortly after they arrived at Ellis Island, George's brother actually left him and then went back to Italy. And then um, George, at 13 years old, was left to make it on his own in a new country. Uh, He got a job in Pennsylvania on the railroad, where he was basically like a human pack mule carrying supplies and water to the laborers. Um, And then from there, he was able to save up and then move to Smithers, West Virginia, where he started his own um, coal-like truck driving business. So like delivery, I believe it was. Um, And it was here that he met his wife, Jenny. She worked at her parents' store in town, which was called the Music Box. 
she had also immigrated from Italy with her family, but when she was a toddler, so she had been um, in America for most of her life. So after the two married in 1922, or 23, I wasn't sure of the date, they moved to Fayetteville, West Virginia, which was about 20 miles from Smithers. Um, and Fayetteville had a pretty large Italian community. So they settled right outside of town in a two-story timber-framed home. And then George continued his driving business, um, which grew and was doing very well. So over the next 20 years, the pair had a total of 10 children, which Good were named... Grief. I know. John, Joe, Marion, George Jr., Maurice, Martha, Maurice. <laughs> exactly, crazy old Maurice, uh, Martha, Louis, Jenny, Betty, and Sylvia. Ten kids is crazy. Uh, last night yeah. I made cookies, sugar cookies with um, basically my nephew. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like my nephew. He's six, and then he had a friend over who was four, and that was enough for me. <laughs> You don't want to make cookies with 10 kids? They <laughs> were wild. I mean, super adorable, and they loved, like, making the cookies and everything like that, but they were, like, running around. One of them climbed up on top of the couch to jump off and do, like, a hi-ya kick and stuff, and I was just like, oh, my gosh. My brother was, like, looking at me, and he just, like, went to the kitchen and poured himself a shot. <laughs> oh, my God. I was like, I don't think you're ready for kids. These <laughs> <laughs> old me. I'm either. I love kids. Don't get me wrong. I love kids, but I eat 10 kids. That is a lot. That's a kids, lot. I mean, kids are going to be kids and they're going to be crazy at some point. And, you know, they have a lot of energy. Um, 10, though? Like, <laughs> oh, my God. Ay, ay, ay. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how far apart they are, but if it was 20 years and it was like she could have had like a kid like what every two years. They're she, all not that far in she age. She would have been, like, pregnant for, like, 20 years straight. Yeah. No, there's a few years between them, but for the most part, they're all oh, pretty close in age. Gosh. So Her yeah. poor body. <laughs> yeah. Riggedy wrecked. You know what I'm saying? Oh, God. So, <laughs> I, feel, I feel for her. So, um, the family was, for the most part, well-liked and respected in their small community. But, of course, because there's always a but... Uh, George was known for being very vocal about his opinions, especially regarding politics back home in Italy. So, um, one of those, huh? <laughs> yeah. So, if you guys counted right when I said 20 years later, we're now during uh, World War II. Um, and if you know what's going on in Italy during World War II, it's um, fascism and Benito Mussolini. Um, and George was very, very against Mussolini. And this led to a lot of verbal fights um, for him. And then a lot of people in town just didn't like him because they, you know, viewed him as talking bad about their home country and their home country's government. And a lot of them still had very close ties to communities back home in Italy. Um, So as um, World War II came to an end and Mussolini was killed, a lot of those fights or... um, just bad views about the family were intensified um, by Mussolini's supporters in Fayetteville. Which is like crazy, but I got to remember it's an Italian community. So, yeah. I mean, because at that time, yeah. I mean, by the, by the end of World War II, then most of America was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. And also, I think it wasn't helped that one of their sons, um, Joe, was also fighting in World War II at this mm. time, you know, obviously on the American side. Yeah. So, yeah. 
So in 1945, a few occurrences happened surrounding the family that seemed odd at the time, but the family didn't really read much into. The first was being a man who was driving by the solder home and stopped when he saw George outside. George Jr., right? No, George Sr. No, sorry, senior. George Sr., yeah. so the dad. When he, yeah, he was driving by, he saw George outside. He asked him if he was hiring for his coal business, and when George said no, he looked at the fuse box outside the family home and said it was going to cause a fire someday. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, George had just had the house rewired, though, and it was deemed safe. Later, a man selling life insurance also stopped by on a different occasion, and when George wasn't interested in buying, the man told him his house was going to burn and his children would be destroyed because of his refusal and all those dirty remarks you made about Mussolini. Sorry, let me try that again. And all those dirty <laughs> remarks you made about Mussolini. <laughs> Just stop listening now. Okay. Let's go to the <laughs> I love Italy. I wish I had the accent. <laughs> I knew that you were doing the hand, the hand motions too. Because well, as you were doing it, I was doing the hand motions on my side. I'm all, wait, she can't see me. Um, <laughs> I totally did have my hand. Mussolini. <laughs> Fettuccini. So fun fact, I actually took, Katie, did you take Italian with me too? I took it for you for half a semester, and then I dropped it because I'm out. Yeah, she was, she, you were learning German, which made more sense for your yeah. major. I took Italian <laughs> for two years in college, and I've been to Italy once. I was supposed to go to Italy this year before COVID happened, or last year, I guess. Oh, my God. Uh, Is it really 2021? Wow. Even, Almost 2022? Oh, my God. Anyways, <laughs> I love Italy and miss it, and I totally go back there, but... uh. I don't really have a good accent on anything, as we all know. So, <laughs> but I definitely was using my hands. And I remember being in Italian class, and that was actually one of the things that was hard for me is that my teacher was like, "You're not expressive enough. Like, you need." She like wanted us to talk with our hands. She's like, "You have to be very dramatic and expressive." But you know, when you're like a freshman in college, you're like awkward and like, I don't know, I don't want people to make fun of me. Yeah, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Now I'd go and in there and be like, "Bruschetta." Yeah. <laughs> God. Give me the spaghetti. About <laughs> a little meatball. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. So anyway. So anyways. That's a different accent. I know. And that's the other thing too, is you know, we grew up in a predominant like Spanish speaking area. Yeah. And so Spanish is so similar to Italian and when I take Italian classes I would get it mixed up constantly. But it also helped me remember everything because when Brandon was in Italy, I was like teaching him like Italian things to say and it was like easier for me to remember just because it's so similar to Spanish. So I was like, okay, <laughs> just different pronunciation. Yeah. Anyways, all those dirty remarks we made about Mussolini <laughs> just reminds me of another side story. Uh, what is that actor's name in that J-Lo movie? Is it... um? The wedding planner, and it's oh, that actor that's God. in Grey's Anatomy, who's and he plays like an Italian yes, guy. Um, oh gosh, what is his name? He's all we could be body body. Yeah, it's <laughs> oh god, what is I can't his, remember his name? name? Marco, maybe I don't know. It's Maximo, like, Maximo, is that it? Yeah, I but it his name be. in real life is not that. And no, he's on no, Grey's no, Anatomy, no. and I'm blanking on what his character's name on Grey's Anatomy. And I saw him in Grey's Anatomy after I saw the wedding planner. I was like, what the fuck? 
Anyways, let's get back on track. So, <laughs> the kids <laughs> also noticed that there was someone parked down the street from their home for several days and appeared to be watching them. Yikes. So, Creepy. now we get to the fire. On December 24th, 1945, this also I just like to note that their name is Sauter, which I don't know. Their his original last name was I think it was like Sadu or something like that, but he changed it to sound more American when he came over. Yeah. But also it is kind of weird that it's So yeah. the Sauter family was celebrating Christmas Eve with nine of their children. Their son Joe, like Katie said earlier, is in the military and with World War II recently over, they were still waiting for him to return home. The oldest daughter, Marion, she was 17, had brought home some toys for Christmas for her younger siblings from her work at a store in town. And George and Jenny, parents, said that they could stay up late to play with them, and then they went to bed about 10.30 with their youngest daughter, Sylvia, who was two at that time. Around midnight, Jenny woke up to the phone ringing and went to answer it. A woman asked for someone who didn't live there, and Jenny heard laughing and glasses clinking like a party in the background. Jenny told the woman that nobody by that name was there and then later recalled that the woman just laughed weirdly before hanging up. It's weird that prank calls happened at this time because I know. I don't know. It was a little bit They're more of an effort to have a, to call someone, so yeah. <laughs> Any cute boys there? No. Oh my god. Is your fridge running? <laughs> I, got I just watched that. <laughs> so anyways, so anyways. Uh, Jenny noticed that Marianne, their 17-year-old, was asleep on the couch and that the windows were open and the front door was still unlocked. The kids usually made sure everything was locked up before bed, but she had assumed that they probably forgot because of their excitement with the new toys. So she shut the windows and locked the door and went back to bed, assuming that the rest of the kids were asleep already as well as upstairs. So only an hour later, Jenny woke up again to the sound of something hitting the roof and then rolling off of it. Santa? She said it sounded. Oh God. <laughs> Sorry. It's awful. You killed Santa. <laughs> oh God, he's all rolling off the roof. Oh. But what if I do? If I fall off the roof? She's <laughs> oh, gonna quote all the hair Christmas movies. <laughs> I know it's it's you know it works. It's a Christmas season. episode. It's a Christmas episode. We gotta keep it light. <laughs> Um, yeah, so the sound of something hitting the roof and rolling off, but she didn't get up and check. Uh, she was just like, it's late, I'm cold. She went back to sleep. Um, but then about a half hour later, she woke up again, this time because she was smelling smoke. Um, so she woke George up, grabbed Sylvia, um, woke up Marion on the way out of the house, and then the two older sons who had been sleeping um so i'll do a quick setup of the house it's a two-level house it's very small the parents rooms was on the first floor and then the younger kids all slept upstairs on the second floor and then they're unsure if the two older boys slept on the second store or if they were had a bedroom downstairs um but the sons john 23 and then george jr 16 were able to um get out of the out of the house as well um, George Sr. went to the stairs where the younger kids were and yelled at them to get up and come down, but he heard no response. And then when he was tried to go back up the stairs to get them, um, the stairs were on fire, so he wasn't able to go up that way. So Marion ran You're to right. a neighbor. I mean, like in a, you said this house was made out of like dry timber and stuff like it's that. It's a timber house. Yeah, yeah like this house is going to go up like 
fast, I would yeah. imagine. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, so Marion ran to a neighbor to call the fire department. And then a man who was driving nearby um, went to saw the flames and then went to a bar that was down the street to call the fire department. But neither of them were able to get through. So the man drove to a town instead, um, like into town and um, was able to get the call to go through. So meanwhile, George and the older boys went to the side of the house where they kept a ladder to rescue the kids. But the ladder was missing. Um, they always kept it up the house, but they weren't able to find it anywhere. So George tried to scale the side of the home by like climbing up it um, and cut his arm open in the process. So he had to get back down. He then tried to pull both of his large work trucks up to the side of the house to help him with climbing up to the um, the second story window. But both of the trucks mysteriously didn't start despite having worked perfectly just the evening before. Um, and then, yeah, it's like everything working against them. Yeah. So they're scrambling around trying to figure out how to get these kids down and just everything. The ladder's missing and his trucks aren't starting. And then it was so cold out that they're, um, they had barrels around the house to collect rainwater. And it was so cold out that all of those barrels were frozen solid. So they weren't able to use that to extinguish the flames either. Um, it's just, just really sad. Oh, that is sad. So for the next 45 minutes, the family members who made it out watched the house collapse with with, uh, Maurice, 14, Louise, 9, Martha, 12, Jenny, 8, and Betty, 5, still upstairs. The fire department didn't show up until several hours later. Uh, Fire Chief F.J. Morris said it was because they were low-staffed and he didn't know how to drive. What the fuck? He didn't know how to drive the fire truck? Right. Then why are you the fire chief? Why are you the fucking fire chief? I was so annoyed by this fact. Oh, my God. What the fuck, dude? Fucking idiot. So, fucking idiot Fire Chief F. Morris said he had to wait until someone else could show up and drive it. More like F. U. Morris. Yeah, seriously. Like, who puts that guy in charge? What the heck? So once they were, once they began to investigate, uh, fuckface Morris over here searched the rubble and said there wasn't any sign of the children, and the fire must have been insi- must have incinerated their bones. He said it must have been faulty wiring, but neighbors reported still seeing Christmas lights on the house as it burned down. Which, if it was faulty wiring, you think that. A fuse All the be, lights would have been yeah out. blown yeah. and like none of the lights or anything like that would work so that doesn't really make sense a few days later the coroner held an inquest and a jury determined the fire and the children's death incidental however one of the jurors was the life insurance man who had threatened george sauter's children a few months before kind of weird suspicious so um a few days after the fire, the missing ladder was found about 75 feet away from the house down in a ditch. And then all the telephones in that immediate area weren't working. So when a repairman came, he said uh, he noticed that they the telephone wires were all cut. Um, a neighbor also said that they had seen a man messing with George's trucks the night of the fire. Um, and then a man who had been driving by at the time of the fire um, about the time when the fire had started, said he had seen balls of fire hitting the roof on the solder home before the fire actually completely started, which would mean that, you know, this was obviously arson and not bad wiring like the police and fire chief claimed. 
So um, the man who had been messing with George's fire truck was caught and questioned. He said he had been trying to steal the trucks and that he had cut the lines, um, the telephone lines as well, but then said, you know, I had nothing to do with the fires, though. And for whatever reason, police let him go instead of questioning him further or arresting him. Was it the same as the police, also the fire department? (laughs) Right. God, they're like, oh, we don't know how to use handcuffs. Sorry. God, like you got a fire chief who doesn't know how to drive the fire truck, and some I mean, police who don't have handcuffs. Don't or, get me you know, wrong, like whatever. Driving the fire truck is definitely an intense job. I mean, well, I wouldn't be able with to firefighters. Do it. To I mean, fire trucks today, <laughs> especially, you know, they have to have a driver yeah. in the back, a driver in the front, and all these different things. But in 1945. I imagine it's just, I mean, I've seen those trucks and I mean. It's like a tr- regular truck. Yeah. It's, it's like, like a regular truck. So drive. I don't understand. And if you're going to be the chief in charge, you should know how to handle every department level of the fire department, I feel like. Yeah. He lied on his resume, basically. <laughs> it was just like, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been a fire chief before. Check and he's references. like, really like a janitor or something. So, Unless it's me applying. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and then trust everything I say. Yeah. (laughs) I need a job. So in the following days, several people said that they saw the children after the fire. And George and Jenny believed that the kids had been kidnapped and did not actually die in the fire. They sent out missing missing posters that had a $5,000 reward and then started to hire private investigators to help them. Yeah. So a few sightings here. One, a girl claimed to have seen the children in a car that was driving away as the fire raged. Now, of course, these could be real sightings or just people wanting to join in on the excitement or people who thought they saw something or we don't know. Another claimed sighting is someone working in a motel about 50 miles outside Fayetteville, Fayetteville, claimed to have seen the children the day after the blaze. Another sighting. At a Charleston hotel, a woman reported seeing the kids check in along with two women and two men of Italian heritage. Her account goes, The children were accompanied by two women and two men, all of Italian extraction. I tried to talk to the children in a friendly manner, but the men appeared hostile and refused to let me talk to these children. One of the men looked at me in a hostile manner and he turned turned around and began talking rapidly in Italiano. Uh, Another account a missionary saw a picture of the children in the paper and claimed that he saw the children in a house in cortez florida a private detective who investigated this lead said that they were definitely there but they were gone apparently five different people had seen them in cortez so that is probably a more likely uh claim yeah so yeah or the private detectives like I mean, more money, I'll keep looking. More problems, more money. (laughs) Yeah. So Jenny was obviously unable to accept that her children were dead and believed that the authorities were lying to them. She began to do her own um, investigation at home and burned animal bones in the stove of their new house and was unable to get them to burn into ash no matter how hot she got the fire. She also read in a newspaper that a family's home, which was similar in size to their own, had burned down in another town with them inside, and all of their bodies had been recovered after the fire. So she went to a local crematorium 
And um, the man working there told her that even bodies burned over two hours at 2,000 degrees leave bones, so that there was no way that her children would be completely reduced to ash after a 45-minute fire. Uh, their private investigator also heard rumors that the fire chief had been telling people that he had found a heart on the scene, but buried it instead of showing it to the family or the coroner. George and the investigator confronted him, and then Fire Chief Morris took them to where he buried it, but it ended up being a beef liver that had never been in a fire before. Duh. The chief... <laughs> right? I the thought chief... I saw a heart over there. Right? Uh, the chief claimed that he had purposely buried the beef liver so that the family would stop investigating and Okay, move on or with hear their me lives. out. Maybe he's not really a chief, but you know how sometimes police like to deputize special, you know, police friends, fans, children. What if what if it's that kind of situation? He was given a sticker. He he was given a sticker and he just took it too literally. Yeah. And the rest of the department didn't know how to like tell him, no, you're not actually the chief. But they just kind of let him be the chief because they're like, uh. Crazy old Morris. Yeah. That's what that is. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, one of the family's visits to their old home site, uh, Sylvia was playing in the rubble and she found a rubber green object. They took it to be identified and were told it was Napalm. It was, sorry, a napalm bomb. They went to, did I say that right? Napalm. Thank you. I was like, you got it. Napalm. I got you. (laughs) Napalm bomb. Napalm bomb. Sounds nice. You put it in a tub. (laughs) Ooh. Refreshing. (laughs) They went to the place over and over again, but they were told it had been ruled faulty wiring, so there hadn't been a crime, and they refused to keep investigating. In 1947, George and Jenny made an appeal directly to J. Edgar Hoover wanting the FBI to be involved. They received the following personal letter from Hoover. Although I would like to be of service, the matter related appears to be of local character and does not come with the investigative jurisdiction of this bureau. Other FBI agents said they are willing to help the family once they are granted permission from local authorities, but of course local authorities in Fayetteville refused to grant permission. Bunch of assholes. So, in 1952, which is like, you know, quite a bit after the the fires now. Yeah, seven. The family puts up a billboard on a road near their burned home um, and increased their reward from 5000 to 10000 And then they paid to keep this billboard up over the course of th- 37 years in total. Um, in, ni- in 1968, Jenny got an envelope from Kentucky in the mail that had no address on it that um, had a photograph, uh, return address, I should say, on it that had a photograph of a young man inside. On the back of the photo, it said, Louise Sauter, I love brother Frankie, L-L-I-L, boys, A90132, or possibly A90135. Um, So police thought the letter was a prank, so they didn't want to investigate. Surprise, surprise. Um, But both George and Jenny thought that the young man in the photo resembled how Luis had looked as a child. So they hired another private investigator to go to Kentucky and find who had sent the letter or possibly even the young man who was in the letter. Um, They paid him in advance and then never heard from him again. So people are so they don't know what happened there. 
Yeah, they ended up putting that photo up on the billboard um, by their old home site, and then they also put the photo like on their mantelpiece in a frame because they believed that it might be their son. So sad. Uh, yeah. So the following year in 1969, George passed away, and then Jenny continued the search for her missing children on her own until her own death in 1989. For the rest of her life, Jenny wore black and made additions to their house in case the children came back and care and came back so that they had would have room to live there. Gosh. Um, and then cared for a memorial garden at the site of the fire. In total, Jenny and George spent about fifteen thousand dollars in the search for their kids, which is the equivalent of two hundred thousand dollars today. Yeah, um, I mean, I—they're not like wealthy people here or anything like that. So no, I'm gonna guess that they spent like all of their money trying yeah. to find these kids. So after their mother's death, the remaining children took down the billboard for their lost brothers and sisters. Um, all of them but John, who uh, was the oldest, he wanted to move on with his life and spoke about, and he didn't want to talk about what had happened. He said, you know. His brothers and sisters were probably dead and they just needed to move on. Um, but the rest of them all spoke about uh, what had happened and would help hold memorials each year on the anniversary of the fire. Um, Sylvia was the last remaining of the children alive um, that we know of, but passed away in April of this year. So... Uh, a lot of information. <laughs> um, uh, so we're going to talk Who about some theories. <laughs> yeah. So some po- people believe that the Sauter children were taken by the mafia um, because George was talking badly about Mussolini. Mm, and Seems like they, a bit of a reach to me. Yeah. And then they theorize that the 90132 number that was on the back of the photograph um, is a because it's a zip code in Sicily that that's why they think it was the mafia. Um, they think that local authorities were either in on it or paid off um, or threatened to not investigate the disappearance of the children. Huh. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, the, sure. the local authorities definitely seem very incompetent uh, yeah. from what it sounds like, but that just seems like a reach just for someone talking bad about Mussolini. Now, if someone was yeah. talking bad about the ringleader of the local mafia, maybe that'd be different. <laughs> yeah. A little bit more personal. There's also a theory that uh, local people who they planned the entire thing because they wanted to get back at George for his political views. And one of Jenny's brothers was part of the fire department and wasn't actively helping with the search when his nieces and nephews. So, Maybe because he knew they were possibly safe elsewhere and he assisted in their kidnapping. But that also just seems wild to me. Like, how could you hate your sister that much to steal half her children? And I don't know. And just watch them, like, spending all their money and mourning for the rest of their lives. So, um, yeah, there hasn't been any leads on um, the children besides when the billboard went up, a whole bunch of calls would come in, but nothing ever led to anything. Um, I think personally that if the kids were kidnapped, they probably weren't kept alive for very long yeah. afterwards. Otherwise, you know, I mean, Maurice they never tried to reach their parents. Was 14. Mm-hmm. And that's, and Martha was 12. So, I mean, that's yeah. old enough to have memory, vivid memories. memories. Yeah. To eventually, if they were alive, unless they were being held captive somewhere, to yeah. when they were adults or something, that to be like, hey, like, this is actually who I am. I remember my family in this horrible, horrific night. 
However, I do feel like it is arson, though, still. like Yeah, I definitely feel like it was arson and that, you know, maybe the kids were kidnapped. I don't know. Too many um, weird coincidences yeah, happening on the same night. Yeah, it's a lot of night. strange stuff. For I don't know why they were kidnapped. That but... guy to be, you know, cutting power lines and stealing Mm -hmm. trying to supposedly steal the car which he apparently was terrible at doing yeah uh it just seems too coincidental for him to be like well i was just trying to steal the car and from the woman is weird too because they never found out who that was that called the family that woke jenny up um just a lot of strange stuff going on that i'm not sure if we'll ever find out what the answer is to it um i mean the children, the surviving children, did have kids. Um, most of them did, I believe, and so maybe there'll be some DNA testing, and they'll find out something in the future. I don't know, um, but I mean, obviously, the authorities were just either willfully not wanting to investigate, or just were very, very incompetent. I don't know which. Yeah, because um, forty-five minutes doesn't seem long enough for children no. to. Uh... To just completely disintegrate. Yeah. And I mean, when you said like all the windows and stuff, like the door was unlocked and everything like that. And they said, normally they lock all that. uh, My thought was like, what if they took a ladder and went up into the second, you know, floor. Yeah. Got the kids out, went out through the downstairs, like windows and front door or something like that. Yeah. And then set it on fire. But that's also a lot of movement to happen and getting past the parents' bedroom without waking them up. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. No, I'm not sure exactly, like, if they were to go to the back of the house and the room was on the second floor and then the room was in the front. But, like, you would think the kids would start, like, screaming. The kids were told by someone that they needed to be somewhere at a certain time or something. Maybe the kids left yeah. on their own accord because they were baited by something. it was their uncle, and they were just like, oh, this is or our uncle. We'll go with him. it was aliens. Oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was the alien body of Benito Mussolini back from outer space. Yep. <laughs> That's oh that's God. what I'm going with. That's what it is. It just yeah. seems so too crazy. I mean, I just feel like for someone to do something like that, either either the stealing the kids and setting the place on fire has absolutely nothing to do with George. Like, it has nothing to do with his yeah. political beliefs or something like that. And it's just more like they need kids for whatever they need kids for, which is yeah. horrible. It's, all, it's always something horrible. Yes. Um, because just the fact that he didn't like Mussolini doesn't seem like enough to me especially in america like well these people aren't really i mean they're americans but they're immigrants from recently from italy during a huge political war but so i i completely believe that it would be over political views especially seeing how crazy people get with political views now you're right and (laughs) to have a town that's pretty much all italian people um yeah because i mean George was, you know, in the United States since he was 13. If some of the people that had these strong ties to Italy still or had family back there still or her recent immigrants from Italy still had, you know, a lot of nationalism, especially during a war when 
they're wanting to back their own country. I can totally see them wanting to get back at him. Um, I don't really think it's the mob, <laughs> but yeah. I totally believe local people wanting to make them suffer. Maybe, for I mean, stuff that okay. That, I mean, that would yeah. make a little bit more sense why the police did a terrible job at doing anything about yeah. it. But it's just like, why take the kids? Why not just burn the house down? Yeah, I don't know. Slash is weird. So, yeah. if you guys have your own theory, uh, I'd love to hear it. Send yeah. it to us on our Instagram or our Patreon or email at crimes.cocktails at gmail.com. Or if you've heard any information about us, I would love to get your insight. To know more. To yeah. know more. Yeah. Yep. So, um, Merry Christmas. our sources. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas. Hug your kids extra tight. Yeah. Um, our oh my sources today <laughs> Smithsonian, True Crime Files, Wikipedia, Grunge, and NPR. Um <laughs> Yeah, hold your kids tight, uh, put out your fireplaces, um, check your politics at the door. <laughs> yeah. Hope for the best. Oh, my gosh. I mean. God. It's really, regardless of what happened, like if the kids were kidnapped or if it was a Mussolini plot, whatever, it's really sad that they spent the rest of their lives searching for their kids, not knowing if they were dead or alive. Or, yeah. Um, and I'm sure the effect that that had on the kids who did survive. Yeah, they probably just feel like they're not even like there because they're just their parents yeah. are just you know searching for their brothers for and their sisters, siblings, which I get. I yeah. totally get. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, that's that. <laughs> Puts you in the mood for family. I hope. Puts you in the mood for family. So yeah. Um, <laughs> anyways, guys. Thanks for uh, listening in this week. Be sure to, like we said, give us a follow on Instagram at Crimes and Cocktails, or you can follow Katie at Grays and Stripes, or you can follow me at Tabitha.Ray. Check out our Patreon.com slash Crimes and Cocktails. And I think we're on Twitter. I post probably once a month, <laughs> but I'm still on there. <laughs> Enjoy. But TikTok's once a year. <laughs> so special occasions. Special follow occasions. us on those. Yes. And we hope you guys have a holly jolly christmas 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 <laughs> merry christmas you filthy animals <laughs>